If you go on pilgrimage and you experience what you experience specifically, and I always talk about the Holy Land, then you give people that hope that your faith is still that strong, that it still exists. When they read that gospel in church, you go back and you see it and you experience the gospel. The gospel comes alive. This is Expanding Horizons. Candid conversations, passionate people, important issues. Produced by the Jesuit Institute, South Africa. Gail Fowler, the owner-operator of Fowler Tours, and Gunther Simmermacher, the editor of the Southern Cross, South Africa's Catholic Weekly. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this podcast. I want to talk to you about pilgrimages. Gail, but first, before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, where you grew up, your hobbies, your interests. I grew up in Cape Town, the colored community in Cape Town. That time, you know, the apartheid regime was still in. So I grew up in that era, went to school quite close by, grew up Catholic, of course, born and bred Catholic, went to uh, the Holy Redeemer Catholic Church, not far from where we stay. So yeah, that's where I come from. Hobbies, not so much hobbies, but interests. I like going to gym. I used to run quite a lot. I used to do a lot of half marathons and so on, but that stopped uh, a couple of years back. But uh, yeah, that's what I do. Gunther, and yourself? A little bit about yourself, where you come from? Well, live in Cape Town as well. Born in Germany, but uh, uh, very much a South African now, uh, even though my accent doesn't sound like it. But then we are a nation of many different accents. Last podcast, you asked me about my hobbies, and I completely glossed over that because I've got so many more interesting things to say about myself, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so to mention one of my biggest hobbies among many hobbies that I have is music. I am somebody who researches music. I am somebody who collects music. On Radio Veritas, I presented a show about music for a number of months, for a couple of years, actually, I think, called Rhythm and Truths, which uh, was basically pop music uh, in its various forms from a Christian point of view. So that is one of my great, great hobbies. Gail, you run this tour operator or operation called Fowler Tours, where you take people on pilgrimage. How did you get into doing pilgrimages? Well, it started in the year 2000. The Southern Cross did a pilgrimage. And at that time, there wasn't much out as in pilgrimages, especially for youth. So they decided to do a youth pilgrimage at that time. And then Gunther asked me if I would lead the pilgrimage for them. And I did. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. At that stage, of course, my son was still small. And I was thinking about it. Now, I was a person who actually did do coordinating work and, you know, did functions. So I knew how to organize. And at that time, as I said, my son was young and I didn't want to do anything full time at that point. And then as the years went on, the Southern Cross always did pilgrimages and every year or every second year they would have one. And then it got to that point where my son was old enough to look after himself and I decided to do it full time. Mm. And it just blossomed from there. I started the organizing in 2012, but did the actual pilgrimages in 2013. So from 2012, I'd say I started the hard work. How many pilgrimages have you done since 2012? Do you know? No, I can't offhand say, but... I think uh, you've got, what, what, four or five a year? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So We are around seven years now, so... Mm, yeah. And you go all over the place. You... I go all over. The main places that we do, obviously, are the Holy Land and Rome. And now, recently, we've been doing Europe quite a bit. And as of next year, it'll be doing quite a bit of Medjugorje as well. 
Good to you. You've done pilgrimages for 19 years or so with the Southern Cross. Why do people go on pilgrimage? What's the point? I mean, you could buy a ticket and you could go anywhere by yourself if you've got the money. What's particularly important about a pilgrimage? I think there are various things. I mean, firstly, there's, of course, the itinerary that is being normally designed for maximum spiritual effect. Mm. So if you are going to the various sites that are the itinerary, that deepens your spirituality because they speak to a certain part of our spirituality. So for argument's sake, there was a pilgrimage to Catholic France that had various directions. One direction was Our Lady through Lourdes and through, well, France is all about Notre Dame. Mm. It's all about Our Lady. So that was one focus. Another focus was on the Sacred Heart through mm. uh, Paris de Monial, where the apparitions of the Lord to Margaret Mary Alacoc basically kick-started what we now know as a Sacred Heart devotion. There were visits to the missionaries, Oblates of Mary Immaculate, the places of the founder in Marseille and Aix-en-Provence. And I think everybody got something different out of those various currents, if one can call that. For some people, it would have been absolute revelation being a parallel monial and uh, see where the Sacred Heart devotion that we know of comes from. If you go to the Holy Land, of course, each place in the Holy Land is telling the story of something in the gospel. Hmm. It's, they're called the fifth gospel. That's what the Holy Land really is. You go to the Sea of Galilee, for instance, hmm. and that is the actual body of water where all these gospel stories took place. You go to Peter's house. Now, we know that Peter's house exists. That is the archaeological fact. So you go to that place and you know that the stories in the gospel of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law and uh, the paralytic being lowered through the roof happened at that particular house. I mean, those things don't leave you cold. Mm, mm. And if you go to those places and uh, you are with a spiritual director and you are with a qualified guide who can explain all these things to you, well, you are going to get a depth of experience that you don't get if you just go there with a pamphlet in your hand. Mm. Then there's also the question of community. Mm. Pilgrimages are journeys of community. And that is something that deepens your faith as well, I think. Sharing that experience of faith, that spiritual journey with other people, enriches you. But most of all, I think people who go on pilgrimage are transformed by the experience. It's mm. a transformative experience. I don't think that you go on a pilgrimage and you come back quite the same person that you were before you left. Mm. Whereas if you are going to pilgrimage places on your own with a guidebook in your hand, you are not quite going as a pilgrim. I mean, you can pray there, but uh, you don't have that full experience of pilgrimage when you go to those places, the whole spiritual experience. Gail, you alluded in the beginning to being involved in organizing. Explain a little bit what goes into putting together a pilgrimage. It's quite a lot, first of all. If someone will come to your priest, normally will ask you to do a pilgrimage for him. Most times they do have an idea of where they want to go and what they want to do. So it would start with building the itinerary. That's the start to doing a pilgrimage. Once you've set out and put your pilgrimage together, you would then start organizing the places where you're going to visit. So you would get your operator on the other side to get all the hotels, to do all the bookings of the places that you will be visiting because a lot of these places are booked in advance. Mm. If you don't book them, you don't get them. And of course, on a pilgrimage, you do mass on a daily basis. So the churches have to be booked. So they do that for you. From then on, it then comes the admin side from my side, where the people will start booking, paying their deposits. Then from there on, I will, I normally have a quota of people that I would take with on pilgrimage, the amount of people, pilgrims. From there on, it's then booking your tickets and organizing visas, if visas needs to be organized. So it's a lot of administrative work that goes with the pilgrimage. People think it's just you booking 
and them getting on a plane and they're going. Mm. It doesn't actually work like that. It's a lot of administrative work involved. You must have to deal with the whole plethora of people. Yes, I do. It's um, interesting, actually, the kind of people you get to meet along the way. Mm. In a sense, you must have hair on your teeth, as they say. You have to be, how can I say? Well, you've got to manage people before the tour and uh, during the tour as well. And I'm really falling to Gil's word here, but uh, one, one thing that always strikes me about the groups of pilgrims, especially with the Southern Cross, where they come from all over the country and they come from all kinds of classes, is that you can have a multimillionaire in the group and you have somebody who has cashed in their life savings or their pension money or whatever, who certainly is not a rich person, and yet they are equal as pilgrims. Mm. Often people don't even know what profession the other people have in their civil life. But because you have different sort of people, sometimes it needs to be managed. You need to have a lot of tact and a lot of sensitivity and uh, empathy for the people while on pilgrimage. And that, I think, is something that Gail is really good at. Uh, she has that outgoing personality. And somebody from Violet Tours or the Southern Cross, for that matter, accompanies the pilgrimage as well. So there's always somebody that people can talk to when they have a problem. Gail, there must be some places where you sort of say, I really like going there, that you find meaningful and you can go back again and again. And then there's other places perhaps that you get less attached to. Does that happen? Yes, it does. I'm very attached to the Holy Land. I can go there over and over and I don't get bored. And then there are other places, for instance, Rome. I'm a little bit bored with some of the places, mm. maybe because spiritually it doesn't touch me as much as the Holy Land does. Then there are new places that I discover as well that I haven't done before. I might have done pilgrimages for more than seven years, but it doesn't mean that I visited all the places. So the itinerary that I did just now a month ago was brand new to me. I've mm. never been to the places in France. We traveled along the south of France and that was beautiful and it was the first time I've ever done it. So definitely the Holy Land for me is a place where I can go over and over and I just won't get bored. Mm. Give listeners a sense of what does a day in a pilgrimage look like? What would you do? You've alluded to some things. We visit places and you have mass. But what does a day look like? Well, the day typically starts quite early. A lot of people think going on pilgrimage, some people think it's a holiday. It's not a holiday. A tourist is different to a pilgrim. The experience is different. So your typical day will start quite early, 6.30 in the morning. You would prepare to go to breakfast. From breakfast, you start quite early, 8 o'clock, you're on the bus. And from the bus, you start your first day, depending on what the itinerary has to offer, whether it be mass first thing in the morning or a site that you would visit on that particular day. Visiting different sites take between 10, 15 minutes. Some can take longer, depending on how much the guide has to offer and what you have to see. So it will go on during the day. You'll break for lunch, normally around 12.30, 1 o'clock. Then after lunch, we would continue. And then the day ends at around 5, 6 o'clock, depending on the itinerary of that particular day as well. Gunther, mm. there must be places as well for you that you have been to and that you are drawn to go back to and other places where you think, mm, I could skip that one after doing this for 19 years. I always think that it sounds rather arrogant when I say that I am sick and tired of the pyramids. It sounds horrible. Some people dream of going to the pyramids. Mm. I've been there now eight times and I've had enough of pyramids. But at the same time, when I am with people who are delighting in seeing the pyramids and I see that joy at finally seeing the dream come true, that is also something that, that builds me up. So, so even those places that I am utterly bored with, even there, there is reward. 
Of course, there are many places that I absolutely love, and they're off the beaten path sort of places that I also like to recommend to people. So, for instance, when I have pilgrims, company pilgrims to the Miraculous Medal Chapel in Paris, in the Rue de Bac, I like to take them around the corner to the tomb of St. Vincent de Paul, which is the most beautiful church. And St. Vincent de Paul is displayed in this glass coffin, and it's a wonderful place, but it's not a place that is normally on pilgrimage uh, tours. Like Gail, of course, I absolutely love the Holy Land. I, I mean, I've written a book about it. I must have some sort of affection for it. Mm. Uh, and in the Holy Land, again, there are some places where I have been there and I don't get quite so excited anymore. And uh, then next door to it, there are places that I'm absolutely excited every time I go there. So, for instance, the Church of All Nations in mm. the Garden of Gethsemane with a rock on which Jesus prayed before his arrest. Mm. It's the most beautiful church. The church itself is, uh, this is an architectural poem. And then what happened in that church, uh, you know, that is a place that every time I'm there, it touches me very, very deep inside. Further up uh, the Mount of Olives, there is uh, the church of Paternoster with the Lord's Prayer in all kinds of languages. And it's a place that I think is very beautiful. It is very meaningful, but... I've been there so many times, I can't get that excited about it anymore. But uh, that is, I think, I mean, it's like a normal thing that some things after a while, well, you just get used to and you take for granted, like pyramids and other things that you just get very excited about. Hmm. If someone was considering going on a pilgrimage, Gail, what would you advise them? I mean, sometimes people say, I'd like to go on a pilgrimage, but I, I don't really know how to go about this. I'm not making the arrangements, but how to choose a place to go. I mean, what's your advice? Well, my advice is wanting to go on a pilgrimage. Firstly, people, when they ask you that question about wanting to go on a pilgrimage, there's obviously something inside of them that they're longing for mm. or seeking, whether it be spiritually, whether it be their own faith, whether it be prayers for someone in their family or something that they're going for. They're not just going for the sake of going because I have to do it because somebody else did it. It's because they're seeking something. So I would always advise people the first step would be to do the Holy Land. Because you need to first find your faith. You need to find and you need to go and experience where Jesus walked, places he's touched, the places he's been, where he died, where he rose, his empty tomb. His mother was there. You go there to her tomb. So for me, I would advise people, those looking at wanting to do a pilgrimage, to start off in the Holy Land first. From there on, you can then choose to go to the shrines, you can go to Rome, and then you can do whatever else you want to do. But definitely, if anybody asks me, what should I do? I want to go on a pilgrimage. Where should I go? It'll be the Holy Land. Would you concur with that, Gunther? Oh, yes, I think that going to the fifth gospel, I mean, you go right to the source of the faith. Mm. You walk on those places where Jesus walked, sometimes absolutely literally. We know for certain that there are some places in the Holy Land that we know absolutely certain that Jesus stood here. The well in Nazareth, mm. there was only one well. Mm. Jesus and Our Lady couldn't have stood anywhere else, but mm. at that particular spot. It has changed since then, but nevertheless, they stood at that point. There is a flight of steps next to the church of St. Peter in Galicantu, which is the church that marks the palace of the Sanhedrin mm. of Caiaphas. And that flight of stairs is the only way that Jesus could have walked to Mount of Olives and from Mount of Olives. Mm. That flight of stairs is from the first century B.C., those are the stones on which Jesus actually walked. We know mm. that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the actual place of the crucifixion. If Protestants talk about the garden tomb, there is no historical and no archaeological evidence. As a matter of fact, there's evidence that is definitely not the place of the tomb, whereas there is archaeological evidence that everything we know about Golgotha is present in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
And then, of course, we've got the history as well. So those places, as Christians, should touch us very, very deeply indeed. Those are the holiest places to which we can go. And that is a starting point, really. As Gil said, after that, by all means, do all the sides of Our Lady and Rome, etc. But the, the Holy Land, I think, that is the place to start. That is the centerpiece of our pilgrimage life. Mm. Gail, what's been the most difficult or challenging pilgrimage experience that you've had? There's been a couple of them that um, has been difficult, uh, more with the pilgrims that are on board with me, not respecting certain cultures that we visit in the Holy Land. It's been a bit challenging in that way with some people that I've had. That was a bit challenging. Challenging as well sometimes with older people that are with me. Some of them have gotten sick while on tour with me. I know it's something that they always wanted to do. I mean, you normally tell people that they have to be reasonably fit mm -hmm. when they go because it's you walk every day, but it's not the same kind of walking when you go mm -hmm. to the Holy Land. It's completely different. So the challenge is always trying to get people to understand that as well. But um, yes, I think the hardest one for me was the challenge with the culture. Mm -hmm. Some people disrespect and that was not easy for me. It was actually one of my first pilgrimages. The flip side, what's been for you the most exciting, the best, the one that, if you think back, I mean, just jumps forward as the one? I can't often say the one. There's been a few that's been good for me. People have been easy. It wasn't difficult as in challenges with regards to cultures, with regards to faith with people getting along with other people, even although they're coming there on pilgrimage, they do forget sometimes that we are all human and we don't always all get along with each other. So in that way, um, some of those pilgrimages, I can't pinpoint and say this one was exactly the one that was good for me. There's been a few. It's like asking Gail to choose her favorite child. <laughs> Gunter, yourself, there must be some that you think, I'd never want to relive that experience, and others where you say, wow, that one was particularly meaningful for whatever reason. I think even the pilgrimages that I have the least fond memories of, I still have very fond memories of, because every group has got absolutely wonderful people. Every bad experience is shared by other people as well, and that mm. builds a community. There was this pilgrimage to France where we were stranded at the airport because the flight that we were supposed to take home had left without us because our flight was due to weather delayed. We were stuck at the airport, and that was the only time so far that the plane had left without us. And it is a rather horrible experience, and yet people were sticking together. So there's a grace in that as well. And every pilgrimage has got some sort of grace, and you see other people growing uh, changing. Some people who might have gone along just to please their spouse, mm. suddenly finding faith themselves and going up to communion. So many graces. Graces sometimes that come out of accidents. I know of one story of a woman who was a, a very lonely sort of woman. You could see she was very lonely and she had an accident and suddenly everybody was caring for that woman. Mm. And that in itself was a grace. For the woman, it was a grace that she had that accident and people started to care for her. Mm. Pilgrimages are full of stories like that. People who are being transformed, people who are experiencing graces themselves. Graces you yourself experience and the illuminations that you experience on every pilgrimage. That is the thing about pilgrimages, that even when things are not going right, even when there are unhappy memories about a particular journey, there are also so many good memories. So I can't pick one that is 
the worst I've ever had. I've got one group that I always mention as my favorite group because they were on the bus 20 minutes before the bus wanted to leave. <laughs> so that, that group I will love forever. And, and that was a lovely group as well. And everything was just beautiful on that particular pilgrimage. But uh, there have been so many pilgrimages like that. And the friendships that you make and the friendships that the pilgrims make, sometimes lasting and very important friendships, people who rally to the help of somebody who has experienced tragedy even after they have all broken up from the airport. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's look forward a little bit. 2020, what's on the agenda for Fala Tours? Where will you be going? What do you have on offer? Well, obviously the Holy Land on offer. I have two pilgrimages going to Medjugorje and Rome. One of them include uh, Lourdes, and then I've got Oberammergau, which is the Passion Play taking place in Germany. That's leaving in August. And that only takes place once every 10 years. Every 10 years. Every so 10 this years. is a real opportunity this for people a, who want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. The next one will be obviously in 2030, and that's quite a long time. So that is the one that's leaving in August, and again, Holy Land, yeah. And those are packages you put together? Those are packages I put together, yes. And then people can also approach you to say, we would like in our community to organize a pilgrimage to X, Y, and Z, and you would be happy to assist them to do that. Absolutely. The parishes can just come to me. They can say what they want, and we design it for them. We will tailor make it for them. Mm. That's what we do. And next year, Gunther, the Southern Cross newspaper will be 100 years old. Is the Southern Cross doing a pilgrimage? Well, we have two pilgrimages. The Oberammergau pilgrimage that Gail was talking about, that's a Southern Cross pilgrimage that's going to be led by Archbishop William Slattery, mm-hmm. the retired Archbishop of Pretoria. So that's going to the Holy Land and to Oberammergau. And uh, that is a great program, and a program that the Southern Cross did in 2010 as well. Because, well, first you are going to see the places of Christ's Passion, and then you are going to see the play about Christ's Passion uh, in Oberammergau, which is quite an experience. And the other pilgrimage we are going to have that's going to be in May is going to go to Rome, Assisi, and to Medjugorje. For all those years, we didn't do Medjugorje because it was not approved by the Vatican. Now the Vatican says there can be official pilgrimages going there. So we have roped in Archbishop Stephen Brislin, who is absolutely wonderful. I've gone on pilgrimage a couple of times with him, and uh, he is really great. So he's going to lead that particular pilgrimage. So those are the two Southern Cross pilgrimages we have uh, planned for next year. One less than this year. Besides the Holy Land in Europe, Gail, have you ever thought of going anywhere else? Has there been maybe the appeal to go to a place like, for example, Guadalupe, anywhere in South America? There has been. Um, we've I, I, could, I could throw in the yeah. French Jesuit <laughs> martyrs in North America and the wonderful shrine there is in Canada. We have thought about Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a very difficult sell, though, because it is quite far and it's quite expensive. Mm. We've also looked at pilgrimages in Africa, which is um, to Rwanda and to Uganda. Mm. So we tried that one year doing it, but that didn't take off. But I've got a program for that as well. So, yes, they are on the cards. If there's anybody that wants to do pilgrimages to those countries, most certainly we can do that as well. Yeah. How do you think a pilgrimage scale expands the horizons of hope? In what ways do you think... Offering this gives other people hope. I think it does, in a way, give them hope. It opens their eyes to their faith. It makes them look at their faith in a different way that they would normally do on a daily basis. Because on a daily basis, you have your normal chores, your normal daily work. If you go on pilgrimage and you experience what you experience specifically, and I always talk about the Holy Land, then you give people that hope that it still exists that your faith is still that strong, that what you see there is what actually happened those many years ago. And you come back and you experience the gospel. The gospel comes alive. 
when they read that gospel in church, you go back and you see it in your mind while you're sitting there. So it gives people that fresh hope that their faith is still out there. It's still strong. It still can survive so many years. And yes, it does enrich them and it does awaken them as well. I've seen people change from the time they leave Awartambo to the time when they come back. Mm. I've had people cry on pilgrimage because they've experienced something they've never experienced before. So, yeah, it gives them hope. Gunter, expanding the horizons of hope, in a country where for many years people were not able to travel, I guess in your experience over the last 19 years or so, these groups also are multicultural, they're diverse, they come from different parts of South Africa. There must be something there that expands the horizons of hope as well. Well, pilgrimage, especially if it's a Southern Cross pilgrimage where people come from all over the country, as I said, different cultures, different mm. demographics, different geographical areas, they're coming from different income groups, etc., are moments of encounter. Mm. And what people encounter is what binds them together, mm. the faith that they share in common, the prayer that they voice in common, the illumination of pilgrimage that they experience in common. That is something I think that builds hope. People come home from those pilgrimages. They come home, of course, with the personal benefit of those illuminations of pilgrimage. But when they have shared that experience with strangers, I think it changes the way that people look at other believers or even at other people. That there is, well, the expansion of that horizon that you are talking about. Mm. That's exactly what happens when people of different backgrounds are traveling together for the same purpose. Just listening to both of you, I mean, it just strikes me that in a situation like this, it's probably, if there is, I don't think there is, another place in South African society where people can come together at the sort of depth that one does when one goes on a pilgrimage for this culture of encounter where you can have, as you said earlier, CEO, and you can have someone who's given up their life savings to do this. It's really a unique environment that you create on these pilgrimages, which in itself is a very hopeful sign in maybe what is a very still divided and in many ways very conflictual culture that we live in. Well, that is something that we've got to work on in our Catholic Church. The pilgrimages are a very, very small way of doing it because well, we're talking about, what, 40 people may be coming together. We have things like media. We've got the Southern Cross, for instance, which is a meeting place of people from different geographical areas of different ideological point of views, etc., etc. That is more on the macro level with the Southern Cross, of course. But the pilgrimages are giving the personal experience of encounter encounter with other people and encounter with Christ and other people as well. Mm. So that is a very special way of traveling. It is much different from other group traveling and is certainly much more enriching than uh, traveling on your own. Gail Fowler, operator, owner of Fowler Tours, Gunter Simmacher, editor of South Africa's Catholic Weekly, The Southern Cross. Thank you very much for your time and for agreeing to talk to us about pilgrimages. Thank you for having us. Yeah, indeed. Thank you for having us. It's been great fun. Please comment and subscribe to our podcast for more candid conversations, passionate people, and important issues. Expanding Horizons is produced by the Jesuit Institute South Africa with music and sound by Francis Tucson. This episode was presented by Russell Pollitt. Visit us at www.jesuitinstitute.org.za.